This is Dylan FM, a freak music club podcast on Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place. This season, we're going deep on Time Out of Mind to celebrate its 25th anniversary. Here's your host, Craig Danielov. Many of us grew up in a world where Bob Dylan was not only a major figure in music and pop culture, but where his work was already considered in a serious way, not only by his fans, but also by credentialed scholars in literature, poetry, and art. Today, Dylan is a Nobel Prize winner for literature. There have been a nearly endless stream of other prestigious acknowledgments and awards, And there are dozens of scholarly books that have been written about him by respected writers, professors. He is taken very seriously in every conceivable way. But all of this had to start somewhere. We know Dylan's origin story well. He burst upon the scene already a legend, as Ms. Baez said. But as our entire culture demonstrates, you can be a legend or a phenomenon without being taken very seriously. In 1966, Dylan inspired Paul Williams, in part, to create what the New York Times called the first magazine to take rock and roll seriously. Today's guest took that seriousness to another level when he wrote the book Song and Dance Man, which was released 50 years ago in 1972. At that point, just to provide some context, there were just 10 Dylan albums, ending with New Morning. There had been a few small, kind of teeny bopper fan club books in print, although Anthony Scrudo's first serious biography was also just hitting the streets. But Song and Dance Man was different. The subtitle tells the story. It's about the art of Bob Dylan. And it takes a serious, critical look at what made Dylan's early work special. Michael's writing deeply considers Dylan's words. But also, from literally the first page of his book, he acknowledges that Dylan is writing and performing songs, which have many vital components beyond the words. I should mention that Song and Dance Man has been updated twice over the years and greatly expanded along the way, all the way through Time Out of Mind. It's unfortunately no longer in print, but it's easy and reasonable to pick up a copy on eBay. The most recent version has Dylan in a top hat on the cover. I should also say that he does have a new book on Dylan, this one called Outtakes on Bob Dylan. It's a collection of his writings from the beginning in 1967 all the way through 2021 with a chapter on rough and rowdy ways. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to grab one for yourself or for someone else. One of the things I really like about Michael Gray is that he is not unapologetically enthusiastic about everything Bob Dylan does. He is, in fact, critical, although still thoughtfully, of much of Bob Dylan's work, or certain aspects of Bob Dylan's work, I should say. But he can explain why, and it's both interesting and educational to hear these opinions whether or not you find them convincing. While Michael has literally written the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia, a phone book-sized volume with entries on everything and everyone in Dylan's sphere, I asked him in this discussion to talk to us about Time Out of Mind. It's a work on which he's written much, and on which, in some cases, he has changed his mind publicly after making some quite declarative statements. It's an album on which he has, as you'll hear, a lot to say, things that can help all of us to better consider and appreciate this great album. Michael Gray studied history and English at York University, and he interviewed Jimi Hendrix as a student journalist. In addition to the aforementioned books on Bob Dylan, he's written books on Frank Zappa and Blind Willie McTell. 
He's given hundreds of speeches and lectures all over the world and was a visiting fellow at Girton College in Cambridge. He's written for Rolling Stone, The Times, Uncut, and many, many others. If you're hearing this, it means you're not yet a Freak Music Club premium member. Joining provides access to extended versions of these podcasts. They're usually about twice as long, as well as video versions, bonus episodes, and more. There are never ads in our episodes, so membership financially supports our work, plus it provides a lot of other benefits. Learn more in the show notes or visit freakmusic.club join. And now here's my conversation with Michael Gray. Review. I, I reread the whole Time Out of Mind thing last night. I reread it this morning um, for the first time in many years, and I thought how bloody good it was. Well, I agree with you. Why don't we start with the essay in Song and Dance Man, specifically your thoughts about Time Out of Mind. And what's interesting there is you start with uh, your original thoughts. Maybe yeah. you can summarize those for us a little bit. You know, this was the first new album for quite a while of Dylan's own song. And it absolutely took me by surprise that suddenly the media all over the Western world said, hey, Bob Dylan, um, he's still around and um, this, is a, this is a great album. Because, you know, uh, this was an era of extreme kind of uh, up, 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 don't ever say anything negative. And also Dylan had been, for most of the 1990s, a completely sort of forgotten figure. I believe that Columbia Records didn't even bother to keep track of where he was on tour for a good deal of that decade. And then suddenly everyone is uh, suddenly interested in Bob Dylan again, even though the album appears to be, certainly on early hearings, one of the most miserable doom-laden albums that you could possibly uh, come up with. I mean, nothing up, up, up about it at all. So my first impression was just uh, enormous surprise that it was so uh, well-received. My second impression was that uh, a good deal of the doom and misery was not necessarily all that authentic. Some of it was very lazily written, and some of it was, uh, there was a kind of roughness to the vocal that didn't, didn't necessarily convince on every track, you know. But my second impression was also that there were four major songs on this album, and they were standing in the doorway, uh, not dark yet, trying to get to heaven and highlands. And, um, I've never changed my mind about that. I think they are four major songs, and I think they're the only four major, major songs on uh, an otherwise rather patchy album. So, you know, I'm, I'm aware that your, uh, that your sort of 25-year celebration of Time Out of Mind should be almost totally uh, a positive celebration of this of this landmark album. But for me, you know, if you come to me for a, for a total thumbs up about this record, you, you've come to the wrong place. But Michael, one of the things I really enjoy reading, re- reading your work is the fact that you aren't afraid and have the 
ability to discern the good from the medium, from the great, from the bad, and that you call it out. Because I think ultimately it generates a lot of credibility, especially since you very articulately explain what and why. The comments you make about Make You Feel My Love and Million Miles and some of those songs that you think are, are less than stellar, I, I think is very handy. And I think it helps everyone understand the album better. And, you know, everyone's free to think what they want. Million Miles. I said it in the book, and it's still very striking to me. This is a song about, you know, feeling uh, alienated from and or a long way away from somebody else. And whether the, whether the narrator of the song is Bob Dylan or a character doesn't matter. The, the title line, the repeated title line, uh, I'm still a million miles from you. There's nothing concrete about that image. It's just a kind of exaggerated expression. It has no kind of life to it. Whereas on One Too Many Morning, decades earlier, when, when Bob was uh, young and fresh and, and his work was perhaps less professional, but certainly more full-on artistic, perhaps, he has a, he has a similar uh, expression for uh, a comparable situation. And that, and that is One Too Many Mornings and a thousand miles behind. And there you have that expression of distance, as in, I'm still a million miles from you. But, but on the earlier expression, it, it's, it's invented it, it's creative. And, and, in, and in bumping together the phrase, uh, one too many mornings, and the phrase, and a thousand miles, linking them with behind, he is, he is talking about distance of time and place in one creative couple of lines that are just his and that we had never heard before he rolled along and made them. Whereas we've all heard, you know, God, I've got a million things to do and, uh, and all that. That's just one example. Um, but it was a very clear one for me early on. So interestingly, then, in the, in the Song and Dance Man version of the book, you finish two and a half, three pages of this, I wouldn't say lukewarm, because you register the four songs that you like very much. And then you have a very startling short phrase, I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you, ex, you explain your view. Tell us about when that reevaluation took place and how did that come over for you? And, and, and explain a little bit about what you say that reevaluation was. Well, I think the gap between the first few pages and then the I was wrong uh, was a gap between five or six first hearings of the album when, you know, it wasn't what I, wasn't what I wanted my Bob Dylan album to be, uh, which is, you know, not Bob's fault. And, um, and then uh, coming to have to analyze it in detail for the book and, and uh, I should say that when I reread this chapter, it's the penultimate chapter of Song and Dance Man 3, okay? And this was published in Britain uh, in the last two weeks of 1999 and in America early in 2000. So, you know, we're talking about something I wrote over 20 years ago. And the album itself, of course, is 25 years old, more or less now. 
what I would say when I reread it, um, this chapter, in order to talk to you about these things, was that um, I liked the fact that what I do with this stuff is looking in great detail at particular effects of particular lines, words, phrases. And, of course, the more, the more that you can make yourself do that very detailed, more disciplined work, the more likely you are to, to derive more from an album You're, and the less likely you are to miss subtlety. And there are plenty, you know, in, in the album. Uh, and some of them uh, are, are strengths that Dylan has always displayed. Strengths like his lovely use of half rhyme you know, in, in Lovesick, where he rhymes meadow with window with shadow. It's very nice. It's, uh, it's careful. It's not a sloppiness. It's not like one of those things where it's just mind and time as a rhyme, which, you know, you could call it a half rhyme, but it's just a, just a loose rhyme. But meadow, window, shadow, that's, that's carefully constructed. That's admirable, of course. And uh, there's a wonderful one in Highland where he says, uh, took the napkin and uh, took it back end Blah blah blah. The napkin and backen are is a half rhyme. There's another one where he says um, he rhymes forget. It's uh, I wish I'd never met you. Uh, trying to forget you, and instead of forget as a completely as a perfect rhyme with met, he says git. He says forget, so that he makes met and git like a half rhyme instead of the whole one. It's just a nice vocal touch. I mean, it may have been entirely accidental and, uh, uh, and uncalculated, but that's, that's art that work, you know. Some two of the, the things that struck me that you summarize is uh, you call it a real Bob Dylan album, and then you, you kind of echo that at the, at the end of your piece. I'm not, I'm not particularly uh, comfortable with with that, with that phrase, I think it's, uh, you know, I kind of regret using that phrase because it implies that there are phony Bob Dylan, of course. And um, and what I say at the beginning about songs like "Can't Wait" and "Till I Fell in Love with You" is that they are they are phony, um, but the album. I shouldn't be dismissing any of his albums as just, you know, a phony album. There are albums that are obviously far more minor. Um, you know, I mean, nobody with any sense is going to tell me that Together Through Life is on any kind of a par with Blood on the Track or or even with Desire. But, um, but certainly uh, uh, it would be difficult to to justify saying that any entire album is is not a real Dylan album. Sometimes, you know, you hear him 
and he's completely trustworthy. What you're hearing is an authentic voice. It may not be, you know, revealingly autobiographical. That's not that's not what he says he's doing, and it's not what he very often does at all. Um, you know, you can invent a character, and that character can sing the song. Um, uh, but um, but sometimes that that narrative voice sounds completely convincing, and sometimes less convincing. Uh, um, and really, I should have been less sweeping in my dividing up of whole album, because actually, you know, if you if you press me to say, well, what is a a phony or fake or Dylan album? Um, I couldn't, I couldn't justifiably give you an answer. I could only tell you the albums I don't like. But it does, you know, the specific word aside, it does suggest that you put it in a group near the top uh, and you consider it a, a major work, I think is another phrase that you use. And, and I think the big yeah. uh, conclusion you came to, a reevaluation, was that the overall sound, feel, theme, mood was meaningful and consistent. I think um, the, more I, the more I listen to the detail of the work, and I am much better on work than music, the more there was with, within those work that um, was worth real, real consideration, you know, and, and words that give off real interest, real um, uh, have a real beguiling quality, even in some of the songs that I musically I don't like. And I think that uh, the, the four major songs are so strong that whatever the rest of the album like, it would still be a major album. I mean, that's in, in artistic terms. Uh, in terms of his, of his career, of course, it was, it was a huge album. Because it really revived the career. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I've, I've known loads of people who said, uh, and this is what the British reviews said as well. They more or less said, you know, I gave up on Bob Dylan when he went evangelical, and um, and then suddenly I find, um, hey, he's um, he's palatably secular again, and and. Uh, and has a kind of gravitas of uh, the middle-aged artist. Whereas, uh, you know, much as the evangelical albums had their problematic aspect, uh, they, uh, they, they, I didn't go away from him. And if I had gone away from, from him at that point, it wouldn't have needed time out of mind to bring me back. I'd have been brought back by um, uh, uh, by world gone wrong at the very least. I, I thought the uh, uh, highlighting of the phrase uh, "when things disintegrate" was a, was a great call out in terms of a summation of the theme or mood or, or recurring yes. conversation on this album. Yes, it, it really is the theme of the album, isn't it? Things are things are disintegrating. They have disintegrated. I have I have no optimism left. Um, 
you know, my sense of humanity has gone down the drain. I mean, this is very dark expressions and a very dark sentiment being expressed here. And, and in the song, Not Dark Yet, expressed very beautifully. Uh, and, and there are parts of that kind of take on the world, on life, on, on, on the life of someone middle-aged that, uh, that crop up well in every song. Sometimes um, the music just gets in the way of that to me. You were talking a few minutes ago about it having a sort of overall sound, or perhaps you were attributing that to me. But actually, you know, I was, I was re-listening to it uh, yesterday uh, very closely, and it doesn't seem to me that it has an overall sound at all. You know, some of, some of the, the, the four major songs are beautifully recorded, and the vocals are clear and crisp, and they are, if you like, less lanois, whereas uh, Dirt Road Blues is like, you know, it was recorded in echo chamber. And then all the ones like uh, Million Miles, they have this kind of this deliberate distorted, putting the voice further away. Uh, uh, it gives it a totally different musical sound, and they're much more lanois. They're far more soupy. You know, when he sings in Cold Iron Bound, Cold Iron's Bound, that uh, feeling lost in a mist. Well, you know, it, the way the track is recorded enacts that loss. That conversation goes on for another 30 minutes or so. Here's a taste of what's in the extended edition. But once Bob Dylan's used a bit of the English language, whether it's Shakespearean or not, it's the Dylan usage that echoes in your mind. And he says, I'm sick of love, but then almost all his songs are about love. Discomfort can be expressed by his phrasing, as well as by the vocal emphasis, the tone of voice, and the words themselves. The whole sequence in that song with the waitress this work of genius was not on the album. Clinton Haley, who uh, has been in the art art snuffling around a good deal, he says that um, in the period that gave us love and fear, there is a whole other album. It's a swaggering, boastful, unpleasant sort of line in itself, isn't it? One of the things Dylan has always done is give us not the polished gem, but allowed us to see the process. That, that's very Dylan-esque, isn't it? I love that. Consider becoming a Plus or Premium member to hear the other 30 minutes of this conversation, extended versions of our talks with Robin Hitchcock, engineer Mark Howard, and many others. You'll also get bonus episodes, access to video versions, and more. Right now, we have special pricing as low as $5 per month. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. It really helps. For bonus episodes and more, become a member at freakmusic.club join. And you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at FMC underscore Dylan. Thanks for listening.